I'm Danica Juarez. And I'm Jan James. And this is How's It Hold Up? Hi, I'm Danica. And I'm Jan. And I'm Valerie. And today we have a wonderful guest, Emma. Hello, this is Emma. <laughs> Emma is our friend who we D&D with, and she cool, and she has strong opinions on this movie, I believe. <laughs> oh, very strong opinions, yeah. Um, and also on the manga, I think, because you read that. I so did. I'll, I'll, I have like some some notes on differences, but I haven't actually read it, so I'm sure that you have even more I'm thoughts I'm sure I've got plenty that. I could tell you about it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who would like to do a brief spoiler-free plot synopsis of this movie? All right, I will do a brief spoiler for you. <laughs> okay, I'll pick that up. So, so we start with Duke Red, who is unveiling his new ziggurat, which is going to lead the way to the future or some BS like that. <laughs> um, and and then we also meet what is the detective's name? Uh, detective Shinsakuban. Yes, yes. So then Detective Shinsakuban and his uh, nephew, mm-hmm. nephew Kenichi, yeah. are are here in Metropolis trying to solve a case about this guy who, like, uses human organs and stuff. And he, he's wanted by Japan for crimes. Yeah. So they're trying to find that guy. Dr. Lawson. Uh, we, he's a, basically a yes. mad scientist. Exactly. And we find out fairly early on that Dr. Lawton is employed by Duke Red currently to create some robot, uh, some girl robot. We also see that um, Duke Red has a, quote, son named Rock. Rock is the only one who refers to himself as Duke Red's son. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's kind of a whole thing with that. But he, Rock... Rock really doesn't like robots, and he also really doesn't want his dad to show any affection towards anyone else. I guess also not him, because he's he's certainly not getting the affection. But anyways, <laughs> um, so he has issues with this, and he ends up causing problems that results in Langton's death and um, Kenichi yeah. meeting Tima, who is the robot girl. And so then it's kind of... And she's also basically uh, the replacement for uh, Duke Red's daughter, is a neat notes. Yes, exactly. That's, uh, I don't, is that ever outright said? It is. It's very insinuated brief, really strongly. Yes. Yeah. It's very briefly outright said by Lawton who says this, I based her off of his daughter. Yeah, that's right. That's but right. Other than that, there's a lot of implication with like photos of the original. Yes, exactly. Um, but then basically we, <laughs> we've kind of split the party in two with, uh, Shinshaku and what is the robot that he's got with him for a while? 803 or Para. Para. Yeah. Yeah. He, they are kind of doing investigating on one side and trying to find, uh, uh, Kenichi while Kenichi and Tima are trying to not be murdered by Rock. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Duke Red wants to find out what what's going on. There's... A lot of things happen. There's political uprisings that are instigated by powerful, evil people and just all sorts of things kind of happen as this goes on. It's a little much to explain all of it, 
But there's lots <laughs> of things that happen um, yeah. as we kind of there's also very strong themes about the kind of robots versus the humans and the robots being used as political scapegoats to instigate political movements and such. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is literally the word fascism is said at one point and yeah. the, some of the main bad guys have red armbands. So there's some not very subtle like <laughs> illusions here. Uh, yeah. They're trying to make their point clear. Um, yeah. The- the Mardukes and their whole party. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, real quick, alluding, I mean, going yeah. back to something you all said earlier, it is Tima actually was his was that his daughter's name? Because when he first sees her, mm-hmm. it's like he said her name, looking at her like recognizing. So I think not only did well, I mean he did see look, her while she was being created too. Yeah, he did also oh, he see did. her then. But I think oh, it's okay, definitely okay. likely that that was her name. I, I, yeah, I don't think they ever say, but like that, that seems logical. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, or emotional, really. Making but. it even creepier, but yes, I was just, yeah, it just seemed like, yeah. yeah. So what did we think of this movie? Obviously not talking spoilers here, just our kind of general impressions. Um, how do we feel about this? Oh my God, it's so good. Ah, I originally saw this movie like over a decade, a couple, over, like about two decades ago, about right after it came out. And yeah. I loved it then and I love it now. Oh my God. Did you seek it out or was it on TV or something when you saw it? I, I think I just randomly found the DVD uh, like at nice. the store. I was like, huh, this looks really cool. Because like I had started watching anime on Toonami and whatnot. And uh, when I saw this, I was like, I want to try this. I want to see how this is. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I saw this on Adult Swim. I think they, they aired it. And it had to have been within at least a couple years of it coming out. Because this came out in 2001. And mm-hmm. Adult Swim was like heavily doing the anime thing in the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just remember late at night watching this and being mesmerized by it. I think I watched it on Adult Swim at least like twice. <laughs> they, they probably ran it at different times. Yeah. Uh, but I hadn't really seen it since then. I, I might have watched it once at some point in the last decade or whatever. But... <laughs> It was nice to go back to it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a very good movie. I enjoy it immensely. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was gorgeous. I really loved like how they use the music and things like that. Oh, music. Setting the Gosh. scenes, you know, very bombastic, but also very subtle. It was it was great. Um, it was a really beautiful movie. It was really well done. It's not my cup of tea just <laughs> yeah. in that it's so violent. And the history teacher in me, it was mm. just so realistic. I mean, yeah. I mean, to themes and and so right. forth. Yeah. So it so it was disturbing to me on many many levels. It's but not like a it was it's not a like real, a feel good movie for yeah, you. No. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but it was it it was an excellent movie. But I it, but it's not the kind of thing that I would yeah. want to see again because it just. It's just you tend disturbing. to want to either watch feel good movies again and again, or like ones that kind of make you cry, but you still ultimately feel Correct. happy by the yeah. end. Correct. And this isn't either of those. Yeah, and feel some kind of hope. <laughs> yes, kind of leaves me <laughs> with a, that. There's a baby bit a, of hope, you know, maybe kind hope. of like well, or maybe even yeah. more than a baby bit. But there, yeah, maybe we'll yeah. talk about it. We'll talk. But about I think it, we'll it would be back. a long time before robots were marginalized and, and yeah. targeted and being, you know, yeah. So. It just yeah. so sad. It's rough. It's just it's, rough. There's oh, a yes. lot of rough stuff. Valid feelings. Very valid. 
Let's get specific, by which I mean I got the bundle of fun facts, and then we'll get specific. Uh, (laughs) The first fun fact, babe, that you'll appreciate is that this production company is uh, Madhouse, who also did Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust, among many other things. But we watched that one not too long ago and love that movie. Um, This film is based upon Osamu Tekuza's 1949 manga of the same name. The manga has some parallels to the 1927 film of the same name, though Tezuka stated that at the time of creating his manga, he'd only seen a single still image of the movie in a magazine. So any parallels there are are not intentional. (laughs) The screenplay was written by Katsuhiro Otomo, who is most well known as the director of Akira and also Steam Boy after that. This film also uh, took five years to create and had a production budget of 1.5 billion yen, making it the most expensive anime film up until that point, surpassing Otomo's own Akira. Um, but in turn, he would uh, he would later uh, surpass that with his movie Steam Boy. So he's like, oh, you thought you could make the most expensive anime movie? No, I'm going to make this. And Steam Boy is not a movie that I've seen, but I don't. It feels like the impre- the impression people have of that is mixed. I don't know. I'll get into that whenever we eventually watch it. But I haven't seen it personally. And then lastly, before we actually get to Let's Get Specific, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the comparisons to the original manga, at least the stuff that I have. And I'm sure we'll have more detail from Emma. <laughs> <laughs> the 2001 film incorporates more elements from the Fritz Lang film Metropolis, the 1927 fi- silent film. Uh, it adopts set designs from that original film, such as the Ziggurat, which combines the new Tower of Babel from the from that film, and the manga's cathedral. In addition to adopting set designs from the original film, the 2001 film has more emphasis on a strong and pervasive theme of class struggle in a dystopian plutocratic society and expands it to examine the relationship of robots with their human masters. The anime adaptation also removes many of the more fanciful elements out of Tezuka's manga, such as the uh, robot girl who is has a different name in the manga, not being able to fly or being able to swap her gender, which she can do in the manga. Also, this is the kind of the big one to me because I'm so curious. Rock was not in the manga. And according to the writer of the film, he was added to pay homage to to Tezuka's science fiction adventure style of storytelling, while also adding depth to the story's background and the world around it. He is meant to represent humanity's dark side and the negative emotions associated with those aspects, and he also echoes Tima's story and can be considered another side of it, as they are both neglected children engineered by their father to be tools of war. But I find that Really fascinating that he's not in there because he is kind of a huge essential part of how this movie yeah, operates. Yeah, who then oh, is yeah. the main antagonist in I, the I mean, I, I don't <laughs> totally know if I'd call him the main antagonist, just the most present antagonist. But still, I don't know, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> how does that work? Because he's the storytelling of this movie clearly uses him as a catalyst for so much. Mm-hmm. So the idea of him not being there is fascinating to consider how different that story must be. Yeah, it really, really is. And honestly, like, the differences don't even just start there. Because, like, flat out from the beginning, um, well, let's see, there's the differences you mentioned uh, with Michi, uh, who is, like, frequently referred to with both uh, male and female pronouns. So I really yeah. like that they just, like, sort of swap back and forth throughout the thing. Yeah, that's fun. And uh, let's see... Uh, instead of the Mardukes, we've got the Red Party, 
uh, who are basically an organized crime syndicate dressed up as a uh, as like a political party. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, Duke Red is much more the primary antagonist, but because of that, he's more of a criminal than what huh. he is in this in this movie, where he's more of a uh, like a big political not political but big social figure. Yeah, big charismatic kind of leader type. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so his big plan in the manga is kind of mentioned a little bit in the movie where he starts uh, doing the stuff with the sunspots. Yeah. Uh, but in the manga, it causes, like, a lot more stuff to happen. Uh, there's, like, animals growing to wild sizes and going mad. Uh, there's... Uh, oh, right. No, it, so it's that. And it's he's also got a lot of other uh, stuff he's created. Uh, poison called Toron Gas that apparently makes people into, like, mindless animals. Oh, boy. Yeah. He's got a lot of irons in the fire. Oh, it's, it's like, all over the place. And uh, most of the robots that show up in it actually work for, or are, you know, owned by Duke Red. And oh, in that's his, fascinating. Like, yeah, in his headquarters. And, like, he outright says at one point... Oh, right. The uh, detective, who in the manga is called Mustachio instead of Vaughn, because uh, <laughs> he's got a big mustache. Right. Yeah. He says, uh, even robots deserve some sympathy when seeing how the robotic slaves are, like, whipped and tortured if they're not doing what they're supposed to. And Red just says, they were created for work. If you leave them to it, they get used to it. But Mustachio says, but life is precious. Heaven's Goodness. judgment could come at any time. Red and Duke Red is just watch what you say. I'm the Napoleon of the of the electronic age. Oh and so Mustachio retorts with, "Then I'll become the electronic age's Lincoln and free the slaves." They do not like hold back. They don't use don't. any subtlety whatsoever. <laughs> that does wow. make the movie look like remarkably subtle in comparison. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> so Duke Red is and his robots and stuff are the ones that are kind of moving the plot forward and, and catalyzing it. In a way that Rock does for the film? Kind of, yeah. So it's a lot more focused on Mustachio, like, actually hunting down Red and trying to find him. Uh, Duke Red is also very much, like, a master of disguise in this universe. Oh. And so as he's trying to get uh, Michi back, he's, like, disguising himself as different people. He even disguises himself as one of the detectives who were hired to find him, who just so happens to be called uh, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Make of that what you will. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, right. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that, yeah, it, seem, it seems different enough that it's it's hard to directly compare it in some instances. Yeah. Yeah. Really. And also, I mentioned that the uh, overgrown animals changed by the sunspot radiation. Uh, yeah. A lot of them, uh, the first ones you find in the story are giant rats that look suspiciously like a certain Disney character. Oh no! <laughs> and are even us? No, like Rizzo? No, <laughs> no, no. Like, that's, a Muppet, that's a Muppet. That's a Muppet. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. I mean, it is Disney, but it was it okay. wasn't at the time. Yeah, um, I don't know why. I, I just you. had a terrible thing. Like, no, not Rizzo. Not not, not the Rizzo. most no well-known worries. Disney rat, rat Rizzo. <laughs> no, I mean, they're even later know. confirmed to have. They're later confirmed to have the scientific name Mickey Mouse Walt Disneyus. 
Wow. Oh my goodness. And in order to escape. I think this would be an example of the the removing some of the more fantastical elements. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And to escape from Duke Red's headquarters, uh, Detective Mustachio actually slices one open and wears its skin to disguise himself as it. Oh. And it's just like, holy crap. an homage to Star Wars and having to get inside a Bantha. I get it. Are you saying that Osama Tekaza knew at some point that Disney would own Star Wars. No, no, I'm saying that she I'm was just that. referencing a lot of pop culture <laughs> things. Well, Emma's saying it, so. <laughs> wow. Wild. Okay. Um, I'm we, sure we that you probably you'll... have our listeners all confused as to know, wait, what's the movie about? <laughs> right. no, 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 what's it about? But I mean, like, what's the story? No, like? I mean... Okay, so yeah, let's uh, let's actually get specific and start talking okay. some about right. our feelings on the story and characters. But I'm sure that there will be more opportunities for you to drop some wild lore from the manga. This on is us. Awesome. Oh, definitely, Thank definitely. You, though, Emma. Yeah, no problem. Wow. Again, I don't have a lot of notes here. Does anyone have stuff from early in the movie? Because really, all the the first thing I have is those fire robots, and that is not early on. Um. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, this is more specifically scene setting stuff, so I'll, I'll sure. save that. But but yes, I, the movie starts very bombastically, kind oh, of in goodness. your face, really pumping up the prosperity. Yeah, the extravagance. Yes, and yeah. you know, to be later juxtaposed with the reality and, right. and how wealth is not for everyone. The, right. the total squalor of the zones. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I even, they even had like some of the crowd shots and, and the conversations from the people in the crowd was interesting because they were kind yeah, of like, what like, is this? And who is, you know, because but they yeah, were also, I think showing. several of them were like talking about how robots are gross or whatever. Like, yeah. Yes. Just being classist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I will say, uh, story wise, it was kind of confusing about the, the Mardukes in terms of there was the symbol, mm-hmm. but then the robot got shot. Uh, right. So was the robot trying? It took a to bit for me down? to understand what the Mardukes are. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that was a a function of the film not being clear enough, or a function of like that's intentional that it is obfuscated about who actually runs what. Yeah. And only by digging in lo- and digging yeah. in deeper are you realizing, you know. I think who it's at benefits. least partially that, given how like it's. It's quite a while before they actually tell you that Duke Red, like, is the one who started the Marduk. Yeah. So yeah. I do think that's at least to some extent intentional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like, with the interview in the beginning, it's like, oh, is he going to get into politics? And then you realize, oh, he's already has his fingers in there. Oh, yeah. Not, uh, like how he secret. got started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone knows. Yeah. And there was a lot of good foreshadowing. And I kind of. I initially thought, hmm, I don't know, this president, this president, I don't think things are going to probably bode well for him. (laughs) Just from that conversation. And then there was some good foreshadowing. And yes, it came to fruition. It's a lot of just character designs where it's like, hey, hey, guess what? This guy is evil and maybe duplicitous. (laughs) And you can just tell that from how they look, which I think is is definitely a, a hallmark of a lot of Osama Tekaza's character design philosophies yeah yeah he has the the very big features and stuff and can each individual person can look pretty drastically different oh yeah definitely. but I, I think it I'm, I'm curious for you mom and i guess this is more animation but whatever um how do you feel about 
the general character design of this movie compared to Interstellar 555. You didn't like that one as much with how it kind of had the like attractive pretty people and then it had like the really hyper deformed goofy looking people or whatever cartoonish yeah and yeah. this this had definitely had some differences there but it didn't feel as stark to me but i'm curious how, what you felt it didn't feel as stark to me either and i think with so much of the robot design there was enough to not you know there was there was enough that it just it didn't bother me because there was so much interaction like i said between our main protagonists and even the robots that's that those difference in designs you know just just kind of were sprinkled throughout yeah yeah and i also really like how like all the human characters are very strongly uh tezuka's style definitely to the point that a lot of the named characters with speaking lines are actually characters from his other works that weren't in the oh, original manga. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, nearly everyone that has a speaking line is from another work of his. But Tima nice. is very much not in his style. Very much more yeah. traditional. Not, not quite traditional, but more like modern traditional anime girl. And like it all goes to make her feel much more... Not quite alien, but like standouts from everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that yeah, it's really the, the visual design in this is great. But I guess mm-hmm. let's focus a little more on story characters, even though I was the one who brought us out of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, story wise, they're the it, it they put a lot of effort early on into showing how kind of. Um, how how much rock sucks oh, yeah. <laughs> um, um with him kind of being the instigator of a, a lot of this by uh killing Lauten and and blowing up his his place just mm-hmm. by firing erratically throughout it or whatever um but then <laughs> one of my favorite early moments is this confluence of really fun visuals and really fun music where the the fire robot brigade like assembles oh the fire brigade it's so good it is (laughs) just like you got the three kind of big ones that first appear and then suddenly this big swarm and then they're building up and and just the whole while oh and then the hoses are coming and then the whole while this really like it's still fairly jazzy, I think, if I recall, but yeah, really kind is. of bombastic and like Cookie silly kind of. sounding. Yeah. yeah. It's is wonderful. <laughs> One thing I liked with that scene was uh when the smaller robots kind of came through, kind of like rats or something. Mm-hmm. Everybody else didn't really react to it except for the two guys from Japan, the inspector. Yeah, and his nephew, yeah they're like, What is happening? Just, yeah, they were like, like oh, what, what the heck is this? Everyone's just like, This is normal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like there's a fire. You get the fire rats. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> oh yeah, so on the point on the topic of characters and the thing I had mentioned about characters being from other Tezuka stuff and the yeah. stuff you mentioned in the notes about Rock. So Rock is one of the characters who's from other Tezuka works. Yeah. Uh, mm. And it's really interesting to me how so okay. One of Tezuka's big things with all of his manga that he would make was his star system. Is basically that he had a fairly small number of characters that he would reuse for different roles in different stories. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, Rock actually started out as a protagonist in one of these stories. Uh, he was like sort of a kid detective sort of deal. Uh, but 
Tezuka very quickly switched him over to being like just the pretty asshole of yeah. a bunch of different stories. And so it's really cool yeah, to see him like kind of fully come into that in the in this movie. Yeah, just like just like the worst, just yeah. constantly yeah. the worst. And I constantly. think I disliked him so much because he was so callous. He had literally no value for any any life. Definitely. Whether it was a robot, human, anyone. Except it's his just, daddy. Except yeah. his daddy. So it just, yeah. He yeah. Just was, when he was chasing, uh, yeah, just, when he was chasing Kenichi and Tima, uh, like all the other Mardukes were just chasing. He was the only one actively trying to shoot the both of them the entire time. And it makes yeah. sense because mm-hmm. these other Mardukes don't know Tima's a robot. So they're like, <laughs> yeah. we don't know why we have to chase these people, but we know that our boss is just shooting at them and wants to kill them. Right, exactly. <laughs> He <laughs> is he just d- stop letting him have a gun ever. Really? Please take it away from oh, him. But then it's taken away from him, but then he gets another one later. He does. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh, and they I, and they had so like I won't talk in spoilers but when no I guess it was it's before spoilers when he when he kidnap when he kidnaps Tima or when he that's tricks before. her. Yeah. 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 Um, but when he's, you know, coming after her to laser her apart and stuff. I mean, just so many disturbing, you oh, know. Yeah, he has some, a his, really like manic smile. Yeah, and stuff yeah. There. manic smiles and laughs. He just, yeah, very, very creepy character. Oh, one of the best parts about that scene, you even get like as he's pulling stuff out of his bag, there's a little uh, picture, like handheld picture frame thing that falls out of it and falls open. And you can see him as a kid with duke red and it seems like they definitely had a better relationship sometime in the past because they looked pretty happy in that yeah i wonder did the original daughter come after that and then die or i don't know yeah i don't know very very curious Mm -hmm. gotta give a shout out to fifi i love fifi Fifi so much my my two back-to-back notes here are i love fifi so much and then Fifi with a sad face. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. It's like you feel the whole time because Fifi is like doing so much to try to protect them that eventually Rock is just gonna, yeah, just gonna do what he does. Yeah, and then that does happen, and it's very sad. And what was the robot in Obi Wan? Um, the robot in Obi Wan that ended up also he was shielding and trying to help little Princess Leia and them out. I don't know its name. I know, but but along you know again you I knew Fifi's things were going to be very much cuter design. No, no, oh, no, no, I know. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, <laughs> I just mean both were just wonderfully loyal and and you know and trying to save you know and and you're just like no, you're like no, I know. don't get shot. I know. Oh yeah, did you got, sh- got shot? <laughs> did you all catch the uh, unique detail that Fifi had that like uh, actually differentiated them from the rest of the Albert II robots? Oh, I'm not sure I, if I, I don't did. Know. I don't know. They had a. I... Uh, at first, I thought it looked like a shoe on one of their on one of their legs because like they had three legs. But I think maybe yeah. it was more likely like a replaced uh, foot, replaced foot on oh. the leg, which kind of okay. kind of hints at like uh, hints at stuff that happens later on. Right, right, exactly. Mm. No, that's cool. <laughs> Yes, yes, stuff and spoilers. Ah, uh, yeah, that's neat. I like that. I, yeah. I hadn't really, yeah, I hadn't yeah. really processed that. Yeah, I've, I've watched the movie three times in the last couple of days. I've been looking at everything. Nice. You watch, oh, awesome. you watch sub, dub, and which one did you watch the, the third, the third time? Uh, I watched the sub again the third time because cool. that was the best quality version of it I could find. 
Ah, gotcha. But anywho, other really interesting thing, like for anybody listening to keep an eye out for while you're watching the movie, keep an eye out for the sun imagery. There's a lot of sun sun imagery throughout the story from the very beginning, like a lot of the text on the the ziggurat itself is like Mm -hmm. a poem to a sun god. Oh, nice. Uh, In that one scene where Tima has the uh, pigeon that shows up, uh, I guess dove, that shows up on her shoulder and she looks all angelic, on the ground, there's a big sun image down beneath her. Uh, as they're running from Duke Red, uh, they pass a wall with a huge sun image. It's just constant over and over. Yeah. I love I love when movies That's do awesome. that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I was uh, trying to read some of the stuff, uh, but I guess you'd have to pause it. Like, the the stuff behind the revolutionaries, mm-hmm. uh, there were, like, poems and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I didn't get to so read, it's, but the, it's a lot of, uh, you know... Um, lots of detail. Yeah, world building for the film and things like that. Speaking of lots of detail, every single scene you go through, the characters go through, there's, like, so many background characters all, like, doing their own thing. Constantly. Constantly, and it makes it feel so alive. Like, a very real place. It's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. No no cardboard cutouts, just people living. No. And they all look like they could be main characters of their own thing. I know, right? Yeah, they're not, like... Yeah, they don't have that kind of just stock. Yeah, none of them are character generic, design, and like you said, the kind of cardboard cutout sort of look. I mean, nothing like that. Yeah. Did we want to talk some about voice acting, or just go right to animation? Because I think we're still kind of talking about story and characters, but just so much of it is wrapped up in the animation. It apparently. is. It really <laughs> sure. is. Yeah. Um, I'd love to pop into voice acting just a little bit. Yeah, let's go. Uh, for partly it. for stuff that you all missed out on from not watching the dub. Oh. So, like, the Japanese voice actors are, like, none of them are bad. They're all good. They all play their roles just fine. Mm-hmm. But I feel like none of them really stand out to me. Sure, okay. But in the in the English dub, uh, Jamieson Price as Duke Red, like, I literally have a note saying Duke Red's voice actor did not need to go that hard, but he did, and it's amazing. Ah, <laughs> uh, that makes me want to see it. <laughs> it's, it's really good. It's definitely worth it, I feel like. Um, of course, because I'm, I'm sure that that's what I heard back in the day. Because oh, I yeah. don't think that Adult Swim was would put sub stuff out; they just put dub. Definitely so. not that early. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm a little biased. Voice acting is kind of a big thing for me. It's sort of like what, what I do, <laughs> and so I always want to hear the dubs as well as the subs. But yeah, valid. Jameson Price as Duke Red, uh, Scott Weiner as Atlas, and Steve Bloom as Acetylene Lamp. Steve Bloom being, uh, you know, uh, Steve Bloom. <laughs> Steve Bloom. Um, uh, Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. There thing. we go. That's yeah. the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Steve Spike Bloom Spiegel. Cowboy- Spike Spiegel. There we go. Thank you. And, uh, and also a bunch of characters in Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Sounds about He's right. in that a lot. <laughs> he, he has such a small role in, in this as like the uh, kind of advisor guy, acetylene lamp, the advisor to the president. But, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. But he sells it so well, and I really dig it. And it was, like, kind of exciting to see him playing such a uh, skeevy-looking character. Yeah, because he's definitely a skeevy-looking character. Yeah, uh, his eyes are so weird. Like, <laughs> and that grin. It's a lot. Yes. Uh, the, the, the military guy, I don't remember the name of, also had a really, his, like, lopsided smile that he constantly had. 
Yeah, skunk. Just knew you just knew he was up to stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Defense Minister Kusai Skunk is what I have in my notes. <laughs> Perfect name. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um yeah, the I that makes me want to see it again because I'm sure that's I think it's kind of like I think a lot of times for me it's the thing that I saw first that tends to be what I was most attached to. Mm-hmm. And I definitely saw that dub first. Oh, so yeah. I'm sure that I'd get a kick out of that. Um Anything else with voice acting from you two? I don't think so specifically. Okay, do you guys want to go on to animation stuff? Sure, sure. So I'm sure we have lots to say here. Heck yeah. Um, The city is just so bright and pretty and gorgeous, but also like hyper detailed and then also not bright and pretty and gorgeous at the parts that it needs (laughs) to be. But there's also, even in the like, the, the dingier parts, there's still a certain sort of beauty to it just in how like detailed and gorgeously it's drawn all the time it's just such a vibe constantly (laughs) the city i think i think it's really like it's somewhat of a cliche to say about things but it does really feel like the city itself metropolis is a character in its own right just in terms of how much effort is put into conveying it at every moment yeah yeah and the the design behind it in terms of what it means for the city to have these levels, to have these functions. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Was definitely. there a lot of 3D in um, animation intertwined or not? Uh, there's I a have... decent amount. Yeah. Okay. Especially for really hyper detailed, like mechanical things. They would use yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. I was just, just because <laughs> it, everything was so gorgeous, but some of it, I was like, this just looks so real, but it was really well done. I don't mean I was like, oh, that oh, no. doesn't, but yeah, it was just. It, no, it yeah. always looks it good. Was, yeah. yeah. No, I have a really interesting note about that. Oh, yeah? The movie had very little, I think possibly no, actual CGI. Interesting. It's hand-drawn cell animation. And what they did for all of those parts is they used computers to generate those images and then yeah. and to generate that as video, as CGI video, and then hand-drew over it. Fascinating. So it's so it's like what they did in um, the Great Mouse Detective with Benjamin Franklin, but they did that then because that's kind of the only way that they could make that work. Mm-hmm. Whereas they did it like obviously by two thousand one, you didn't have to do that, but yeah. they just were like, let's be really extra about this. Yeah, and it paid off because it looks gorgeous constantly. Yeah, amazing. Oh, it looks so good. And just the amount of effort that had to have taken. Oh, because yeah. some of that stuff is so intricate. Oh, man. Impressive. Oh, yeah. Um, I really love the the fade outs and transitions mm-hmm. that are throughout this. Uh, they feel really purposely old, old school, kind of reminding me, uh, given the sort of nerd I am, of Star Wars, mm-hmm. which is also mimicking the those older style transitions and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, and then they'll have those shots where uh, most of the screen goes black and a circle highlights the important thing. Mm-hmm. Like, just those, it helps just kind of make this feel of a time, even though it was made in 2001. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. I love the vibe of that. It's very much drawing from silent films. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which I kind of wish that I had the spoons to actually go and watch the, uh, old the original original silent film metropolis because i feel like this movie is 
so very much like draws so very much from both sources while still being yeah. very much its own thing. Yeah, that's the impression it's I like, get. I feel like I could get even more out of it if I could do that, which I might at some point. Almost certainly. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that would be interesting, though. Definitely. It can be. I mean, I haven't really watched silent films, but I've watched a decent amount of silent uh, cartoon shorts. Mm, and yeah. those could definitely be. They're a little taxing for me most of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I need a little more. Um, and I honestly, in those old ones, hated the technique of most of the screen going black in a circle highlighting a thing. But something about seeing it brought back in this gorgeous, lushly animated thing, it, it clicks for me there as, it, it as the reference yeah. it is. Yeah. Oh, so character wise. Uh, visuals. What I loved with Rock was these kind of sunglasses are hiding the the tumultuous character that he was. Yeah. And like when when he you know doesn't have those seeing his just how uncontrolled yes. and and emotional he he really was when he's supposed to be leading this you know a radical political party and. You know, he's actually just, like, driven by these emotions. Yeah. yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, and his really striking bright blue eyes. Yeah, yeah. And he just is, like, pretty much without a ability to argue the most emotional character in the film. Oh, yeah. Just, like, so ruled by his overpowering emotions. Yeah. And interesting note uh, connected to that, and... This is something that I picked up from taking uh, film studies classes back in school. But like when I notice a thing repeats over and over, I pick up on it. Did you yeah. recognize that uh, when he killed, like the first couple times he killed people, you saw them reflected in his sunglasses, right? Yes. The next time some someone something's reflected in his glasses is after uh, Duke Red slaps him and the glasses fall off and you see Duke Red reflected in them and i almost yeah. feel like that might somehow be like foreshadowing what yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it's it's most certainly is um and very well done because yeah no you're i didn't even think about that but that is so clearly a thing that they did that it, it obvious that it's so clearly imbued with meaning yeah um, and <sighs> There's something I'm still working on. I'm still kind of chewing on trying to figure out because that's, those aren't the only reflections that happen. Uh, when yeah. Rock has Tima on the billiards table and he's about to cut her open, uh, you see him reflected in her eyes. Yes. And then yeah. like right before he, uh, right before the lights go out and, uh, and, uh, Bond kicks his butt. But then <laughs> there's another one at the end that I'm not going to get into just yet, but. Yes. Uh, it happens one more time at the end, and it's like, I can't quite figure out to draw the connection between that and those other times where it's in the glasses. But yeah, I feel like there's got to be there, something there. It feels like there has to be. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just one of those movies that has all these details in it that just make it feel so worthwhile to see again and again, to really? like, recognize yeah. those connections and... Uh, uh, oh, uh, something important to mention is definitely those iconic shots of Timo uh, looking upward with her hair flowing around her. Yeah, the um, movie poster just, image. Just yeah, exactly, <laughs> just iconic imagery. Um, that's like a still image except for her floating hair. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, it's alien feeling. It's on the movie poster for a reason. Yeah. It really sticks in your mind. Uh, really well done. Very otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at some point, there was like, uh, oh, when the uh, revolutionaries were gonna were like heading towards their coup, they somebody had like a chained duck. Yes. Oh yeah, the duck. Yes. I hope I that duck made it I out okay. That too. I know. It's like, why do you have to chain that little Where's duck? The, what's the symbolism in a chained duck? Oh, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> it was a cute duck. You know, maybe there isn't any. Sometimes it's okay for it to not be symbolism. I Sometimes it's to just be a weird yeah. thing. Sometimes a duck is just a duck. <laughs> but also, maybe there's don't symbolism and maybe you should research maybe. it. Maybe. Um, yeah. Can you write me a paper about it, please? No. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she already said no. Oh, well. Um... I, I don't actually have any more animation notes. Does anyone else? Uh, There's they'll probably plenty to talk up. about. We can move oh yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to talk about this for this movie. I guess what would this be like if it were conceived from the ground up as a live action experience? Uh, I cannot Does it have to be conceived from the ground up. Or if you want to go the awful Disney route of this is a remake, oh, Disney God, Disney no. for some reason Disney somehow bought Metropolis and for some reason wanted to do a remake of it, Please, and now no. they're making a live action remake. Is it's it coming a- out twenty twenty three summer blockbuster. It's Alita Battle Angel. <laughs> I think Alita Battle Angel at least had people behind it who, like, cared about the source material. Yeah, for sure, for sure, but still. I haven't like, seen can... that, so I can't judge it too harshly. Yeah, I think they would use, like, the CG to... Oh, do you think they would make Tima's eyes, like, creepy big, like, in there? I don't think they creepy or... big, but I think, you know, I could see them doing something to pull her visually apart as, like, what Emma said, like, her being... In... The kind of otherworldly presence. Yes, in this, uh setting visually uh being more modern anime makes mm-hmm. her different than the other characters i can see them doing something to do i think it's just effect. gonna be so much harder to have the grandeur yeah you know what i'm saying like uh-huh. it's you could do it with you know the talented cgi artists and stuff but they're often so they're so often not given the time to really oh, yeah. make the most use of their talent so. you're like grandeur and i'm like ah oh, yes the grandeur of the Cave of Wonders in the live-action Aladdin. <laughs> Babe, you're killing me inside. <laughs> Throw some gold on the ground. That's great. <laughs> nice. You know, I don't... I feel like one I way can't. they could do it a little better is if they went back to... Okay, so another thing from the 1920s Metropolis is yeah. uh, that all the like big, huge cityscapes uh, were done, of course, with uh, practical effects. They did, yeah, they did like big models and stuff. I feel like if, if someone took that and did a modern version of it, it could could be pretty cool for this sort of movie as live action. But I don't think they would. I could see that. Because movie movie companies are awful. Right. I'm also curious if they were doing that style of, of trying to really have the practical effects for to to represent the city how do you think because assuming that we're just we're doing this story not the original 1920s metropolis robots are a central feature of it and like are those going to just be cgi or is there going to be some effort to have them be 
like animatronics or and, and probably a, a mix of animatronics and people in suits for the more human humanoid Ugh, ones. I yeah. would love it if it were like this practical animatronic thing. That would be. It could be pretty cool. It could be, but just the level of the level of um, craft and effort that would be needed for that is not something that is put into movies nowadays sure, unfortunately but, for the most part yeah i guess in terms of we're talking ideal here yeah exactly i think in terms of the discussion yeah. it, it it hinders it to to only focus these. on what they would do but it's just like this is what would make it really cool so yeah. yes i think those kind of animatronics uh i i just think of like live action ninja turtles with the faces that were so expressive <laughs> they were and that uh, was like late 80s early 90s yeah, yeah yeah so like like you said something with a lot of craft and love put into it honestly like dope. make a live action metropolis that has like jim henson company working oh, on some of that gosh, stuff because yeah. they can be so good with that like stuff. a fifi albert too could be oh, just so endearing yeah and yep. interesting thought have any of you heard of the band's Steam Powered Giraffe? Yes, I have. Just by name. I think I've all, I I don't even know if I've heard if I've actually listened yeah. to any of their music, but I know of them. Yeah. All all the musicians in that basically play roles as robots. I feel like that sort of mm. like makeup style would be perfect for Paro. Ooh, that's that seems fun. Yeah, I I would have to look again, but I have seen a picture or two of them. Yeah. Uh, that'd be, that could be really cool. Yeah. Tima would have to be human though. Well, yeah. Oh yeah. Cause, or, cause she looks human. That's her kind of her thing. Yeah. There could be in an ideal world, it could be pretty cool. Um, it would definitely obviously feel really different, but it could be really cool. Yeah. But in a in our actual world, no, never. there's all, uh, pretty Please much stop, absolutely no. no way it would ever be anywhere near as good as this. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, unfortunately, they just don't really make them like this currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know if we said so here, uh, but we we were talking, you know, uh, while we were watching the film, and so kind of hopping back to animation, the political kind of conflict being with people and and robots really allowed them to make visceral imagery uh that you know they might have stayed away from or might have like upped the rating yeah. if they were mm-hmm. so kind of grotesque with the murders of these poor robots yeah uh, it's able to feel really bad while also still like not going past a certain threshold yeah. of like gore or whatever. Yeah, you yeah, even see so, like, a lynched robot in one of the scenes, and it's just like, holy jeez. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's intense. Mm. The the world building there with just the kind of casual uh, beatings that that our characters stumble upon or yeah. are around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that really kind of fleshes out the world and the. Uh, kind Very of sad disturbing yeah. predicament that they are that they just live with. This is the background radiation of this country, town, whatever. Of this metropolis. <laughs> <laughs> you go ready to go on to some sound design? Sure. Where I basically just uh, say that the jazz music is really good. Holy <laughs> uh, so uh, good who's jazz. the com- who's the composer? Uh, Toshiyuki Honda. Amazing. I. Am interested in getting the soundtrack to this movie. It's so good. I, I may um, I may have also listened to the entire soundtrack uh, yesterday. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. It's so it's so good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's really good. And then a couple of um, important like 
needle drops uh, w- with some like classic music ah. put in there or classical sounding music, depending. Yeah. Uh, there's one particular that is obviously a classic song and the others might be more just in that style. Yeah, I think, I, I think a recently. lot. Of, yeah, I think a lot of them are um, like actually just a. I can't quite remember what the word for it is when they just uh, do their own arrangement of a classic song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we have like St. James Infirmary yeah, Blues there is in go. there, but that's not any of the. I mean, saying original is even, there were so many covers of it even back in the day. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's by Atsuki Kimura, who does the does the performance for that. Um, They'll Never Be Goodbye, which I believe was the credits song uh, performed by Minako Muki Obata. That one's original. Um, is that one original yeah. to the movie? It's original to the yeah. movie because. So it's just in the style, but it's not. Yeah. An old song, but it's got the it's got very heavily the leap motif of uh, the main Metropolis theme. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. Yeah, uh, one of those songs that makes you be, be like, yeah, I'll keep the credits on. Yeah, <laughs> and then no context, but a very important needle drop of "I Can't Stop Loving You" oh. by Ray Charles. <laughs> uh, we will talk about that more later. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, just some really good music um, starts, that starts off pretty. Yeah, it starts off immediately after uh, his like speech or whatever. That jazz just like kicks in, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and then it's just so much good jazz throughout there. And there, there's a couple moments where it's a little more regular orchestral but like in general it's it's in that jazz vibe and i like jazz music yeah. so i love it really interesting yeah. uh you mentioned it earlier that song that plays during the fire brigade scene uh if you listen yeah. to it on its own you can more easily tell it's very heavily uh jazz but also has some like like electronic and like almost dubstep feeling electronic in parts oh, of it that's yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah, I have to get the soundtrack and listen to yeah. it. Yeah, um, I think that that makes sense there in terms of like it was uh, around kind of these robots doing their job and stuff. So yeah, very mm-hmm. cool. Any other thoughts about the music other than it's just really good? It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the part that our podcast is named after. How's it hold up? So good. I don't actually have notes here, but um, I, I feel like it doesn't I need mean, notes. Really, it's, it's 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 it holds up well. Is the thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess in terms of like uh, women characters, there's like there's two. There's who's the second one? Tima, the uh, the girl that was giving her the dress and mm, things like Emma. that. Right, right, right. Yeah, her, her name uh, is yeah. Emmy, and she is actually uh, from the original that's manga. Right. That's right. I did, I did. I was like, oh, there's a character literally named Emmy here. Cute. Yep. That um, was pretty funny. <laughs> is it? Is there any other than those two ladies? I mean, you see some. Uh, the but side, character. But like, but, yeah. Um, Background no, revolutionaries, characters. But... Scientists. Yeah. No, Which is nice that they really. have them in all of those positions and not just like very gendered positions. No, I think I don't see scientists. Oh, you didn't really see I any? I didn't really see any scientists. Did oh. you? I'm not sure about the scientists, but I did see a couple revolutionaries, which I was happy about. Not the main three guys. No, no, no. Yeah, it's very much almost all of the main characters beyond Tima are guys with like one minor character exception. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which, yeah, like that's a bummer. Um, It is. I, I think that's, yeah, part of that is that it's based on an Osamu Tekaza 
manga that was made in a time where that was even more common than it was by 2001, but Mm -hmm. just also... It's just a thing that men writers do a lot, (laughs) unfortunately. Funny Um, enough, uh, the manga did have uh, one more female character, and I think technically even passes the Bechdel test of... uh, for manga. Uh, for manga, yeah. Of uh, <laughs> Emmy in that one was the same age, or same, you know, apparent age as uh, yeah. Michi and not Tima, uh, whatever her name was. Michi. There we go. Michi. Uh, but she had an older sister, and oh. her whole introduction into the story was uh, almost getting hit by a truck before oh, Michi gosh. saves her. And. Uh, like in while she's when that happens, she's out just selling flowers on the street, trying to get enough money. And when she goes home to her older sister, older sister just abuses her for not making enough money. Oh no! Yeah, that's so sad. Yeah, it is. Goodness. And then like uh, she gets used in order to uh, hunt down and find Michi by uh, yeah Duke Red. Yeah, because of course Rock isn't in there. Yeah, yeah. I think in terms of the the film. I mean, you could argue these sorts of uh, fascistic structures or systems or whatever kind of can you can say that it's also misogynistic in that way. Yeah. Ah, oh, geez, the fascism in this story was just like even just flat out no no demonstrations are not allowed during the celebration. I week. know, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. like that's so bad. Yeah. And and of course you have the moment where the the general guy betrays the mayor, um, and and there's just oh, like nice. the montage superimposed over him of like war footage stuff, like yeah. yeah oh, and there's, there's the president actually. The mayor only shows up at yes. the very beginning of the movie and then never again. My my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and even them backing him up against a wall and shooting him down, just like the firing squad almost oh, yeah. parallel, you yeah. know, that they did with, with several characters. Yeah. Was yeah. A lot. Yeah, I was going to, I, I meant to say, but, but yeah, like killing a human, kind of getting that pulled back view versus in comparison to the robots and, and again, yeah. making more visceral and, um, you know, upsetting imagery with it, with those deaths. And one of the more human robots that dies, um, so yeah, it is you don't even actually see, like, the moment of death. It's kind of a cutaway and then mm-hmm. seeing him dead, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, like, the kind of, the more, like, because Fifi, you just see get blasted apart. So mm-hmm. there's kind of this... The the less human or the less... Because uh, there were some more humanoid ones during some of the scenes where the Mardukes were killing them, but they were kind of farther away and, and yeah. you didn't like, see them as detailed Although, kind of thing. one of them did have a great detail to it. A great gory as heck detail. Well, you know, robot gore. Of right. Its head gets blasted off and then lands like atop the backpack it has it's wearing behind it and just spins around for a second. And I was just yeah. like, holy shit, that is a weird detail. <laughs> like, that's... That's uh, gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> also, like uh, the one you were mentioning specifically, Paro, when he uh, in- when he confronts Atlas and the revolutionaries, and just his line of "Why must humanity always resort to violence?" is the only means of settling their differences. It's just like, oh my god, my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And then Kanichi, there was 
almost an extended kind of scene with him taking a hat and kind of smoothing it out and then putting it over Para's head and, you know, covering that up. And it was so sad. Yeah, very sad. And then Shinsaku Ban even gets a moment of uh, yeah later yeah, when he gets with, yeah. when he finds him again later. Yeah, because yeah, he was I don't remember where he was at that time, but oh, because he they literally split right before that happened uh, for him to go. Do yeah, stuff, so. Paro, Paro said, the police. "Go, yeah. yeah, go warn the police. Get back up. I'll be okay." Yeah, yeah. Really, he just he wanted wasn't to, okay. He, was. he wasn't okay. He just wanted to protect Shinsaku. Yeah. and I'm sure he knew he wasn't going to be okay. Yeah, but. for sure. Yeah, that's such a another kind of layer added to uh, the people versus robots in terms of these robots are programmed to do certain things and understanding that, like, these people hate me, but I'm still doing my job. Mm-hmm. That That's always interesting to me, uh, kind of the emotional layer there. I don't know. Yeah, and you can very much see why, like, in a lot of cases, there's the... Uh, uh, supposedly gone wild uh, robots who are in not in their proper zones who are getting hunted down because they know what their place is and they know that it's not fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one yeah. at the beginning who shines the Marduk symbol on the ziggurat and gets hunted down for it, like, even seems like they're just trying to get people to recognize these people in power are the cause of all these horrible things happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anything else with this section, or should we go on to our... Spoiler alert! Skip to... One hour, 16 minutes, and 47 seconds. So, yes. So at the end, we have our kind of final... Uh, confrontation in the, in the ziggurat where uh, Duke Red's trying to get her to sit on the throne to activate the power or whatever to to take over for him. Uh, she's not very interested in that. Kenichi's like drugged for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I like what you were saying about the manga that where Duke Red apparently was a master of disguise, and it and uh, it seems like they were homaging that with. Um, Rock having that elaborate disguise as as M- as Emmy, yeah, um, and and be like, oh look, it's actually me, and I've got a gun because I always got a gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm always ready to cause problems with my gun, and always. he does shoots Tima, um, and and yeah, then we kind of get into the final thing where she does end up sitting on the throne stuff breaks real bad where she's gonna have like the robots kill everyone the place is falling apart just so much happening here Mm -hmm. so clarification i'm assuming that the reason that she did not uh i mean that she took the throne and all is that she was damaged when she was shot and then it just it like zoomed into her heart hole where she was shot at one point and there was like a red light thing that came on yeah okay yeah. interesting notes so. uh it flipped her evil switch. her evil switch <laughs> yeah. yeah interesting notes way <laughs> at the beginning when uh dr lawton was saying that she's not ready uh she's if like i don't put the finishing touches on her uh she'll like catch fire and explode yeah and, like, he even has, like, on one of his little screens an image of her heart as he's working on her. And, like, you can tell that's what he was working on. That's what, like, didn't get finished. Yeah, And yeah. so that's probably why this happened. Because the damage seemed fairly superficial. 
Like, it hit her in the heart, but the heart itself wasn't actually, didn't appear damaged in any way. Yeah, no, not really. Just the outer skin stuff. Yeah. Uh. I'm I'm curious if she had sat on there uh, without the evil switch turning... How does that then go? I'm just curious what the actual end game for Duke Red looks like. What does it look like for you if she does take over, but without the evil switch flipped? Yeah, Duke Red's not whole sure. thing very much seems fascist taking over everything to remake it in the image he thinks it should be in. Yeah. Right. But and he doesn't really he go into detail about it. No, but he's clearly very ego-driven. Yeah. Yeah, if, if, if he were to have... If Tima were to have met him before Kenichi, then it's like, well, she's just my puppet. Yeah. Right, in that right. sense. But having met Kenichi, but not getting damaged in the heart, I don't know what that would have looked like. Yeah, right? I yeah. mean, I don't know if she would have gotten... Uh, maybe if he, like, threatened Kenichi, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, her evil button did get flipped. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Rock of course, didn't die after he got shot for doing another shooting. Um, Cause he gets to live long enough to then blow himself up. Cause he's like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get killed by these things. So I'm going to blow me and daddy up. I'm not going to get killed. It was that. Oh, you're right. My, that you're right. <laughs> my father won't get, I won't let father uh, def- die to them. I'll kill him right. first myself. Exactly. Somehow that's better. Like I said, the reflections, <laughs> the reflections in the glasses. Yeah, yeah. He oh, yeah. he was the cause of Duke Red's demise. And what was the reflection that you are yes. still chewing on? Oh, the reflection I'm still chewing on. So at the very end, so after all of that, uh, Tima and uh, uh, Kenichi jumps over onto the throne to try to pull Tima out of it as it's like yes. connecting to her in all this, all its robot gore glory. Robot gore glory. Yes. And when he finally gets her out... As she's half melted and uh, she is beginning to catch fire, like how uh, Lawton said, and yeah. she tosses him outside of the building and they're on the like ledges. At the very, very end, when her heart switch flips back and she embraces him but falls, and they both fall and drop and he tries to rescue her, you can see him reflected in her eye as she drops. Yeah, what does that mean? I know. Because in like all the other instances, something. it's like then that person dies. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like so. The other, so specifically, the uh, the ones where they die very clearly die because of that person. It's uh, them in the sunglasses, right? Yeah. But with this, it's. The reflection of Tima's eyes in both cases, it's uh, Rock reflected in Tima's eyes as he's about to cut her open, and then Kanishi reflected in Tima's eyes as Tima falls. Yeah. And it's just, hmm. I know there's something there, but I can't figure it out. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it could have to do with kind of the the sort of love that both Tima and uh, Rock are acting from. Mm. So Rock's love is a very obsessive possessive sort of thing and maybe for Tima when she is capable of feeling love again sees him and gives him life instead of death as this kind of sacrificial love maybe hmm. yeah I mean I like that yeah yeah, yeah that, I can that see feels that. good I like that that or just 
at the end end post credits he is there in the town well i'm assuming he's there in the town yeah yeah it, it, basically she has shifted his the, the course of his life and, and maybe that reflection yeah. is representative of that shift. Of, yeah, he chooses like, to stay in the ruins yeah. of Metropolis yeah. to help the robots rebuild, and, and he gets a little. He makes a little shop. That so that we that notes that as he so okay post everything falling apart, everybody who's gonna die dying. It's just Kenichi exploring the ruins and coming across the robots, and it turns out. Fifi's still alive. I, my I my know, note yes. is Fifi with yes. a few exclamation marks and a happy face. Yes! yes. So <laughs> exciting. Fifi's head has been repaired. Uh, you can yes. tell it's Fifi because uh, they tap their foot a couple times so you can see the uh, replaced leg that they had already yeah, had yeah. at the beginning. And all the robots that are around Fifi and around Kenichi are looking for the parts of Tima. One of them has her sneakers. Yeah. One of yeah. them has uh, the dangly thing that she had uh, been yep. falling from. And Fifi has her heart and yeah. gives it to Kenichi. And it's just like, oh my gosh, the feels. And Fifi just like celebrates and all the robots around them start celebrating about it because like it seems like they want to rebuild Tima. And they want yeah. Kenichi to rebuild her. Yeah, I think, so in the film you saw... Uh, Pero connect to the remains of a robot. Uh, so there's some sort of memory there. Are you able to bring someone back in that way? I mean, uh, Kenichi met Tima, where she had little to no memory. Will it be they built her? She doesn't remember previously, but she can learn again. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And we do know. know that the uncle had the notebook. Did he still have the notebook? Could Kanichi use that? Uh, yeah, I think the the store being Kanichi and Tima, it is probably open for interpretation whether Tima is there or he just is, you know, naming it as an homage to well, her. What was with the tape? Sorry, what was with the tape deck? And wasn't it her voice on the tape deck? Yeah. Right, yeah. So what was that? The little radio and her voice. Yeah. It felt like there was some part of her left in the world to be found. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. in that final post-credits image, Tima's there. Or kind of. You, if Something you, looks like her. Yeah, yes. if you look in the window, you see a figure that looks yeah. like Tima, but you only see part of her. And so it's yeah. hard to tell if like she's, you know alive and working yeah. in the in the store and like is in the window because she's hanging stuff up or if she's like a display piece of some kind but right. that feels yeah. like it doesn't quite like it doesn't feel like that's something that kanichi would do though you know no yeah and unless it's just unless it was like displaying okay look we've rebuilt her this much i don't know if it's like a come on robots we have a few more pieces to find i don't know <laughs> maybe yeah but he didn't really i mean he seemed like he was just happy and doing stuff. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't know. It's there, it's just yeah, a very I mean, sing it's one single image and it's hard to get much from it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think there was a a, a window display early in the film that had someone who a, a mannequin that was blonde and all of that. And I uh, I think Rock did refer to her as a mannequin at some point. Oh, yes, he did. Interesting. Yeah. So so I think it I could think be a reference to some of that. Open for interpretation thing. Yeah. 
though heavily. I interpret upon. that they eventually get her back together and it's all happy and they're good. Because sure. that feels better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think I think you could. I think there are parts of the story that let let you believe that. That like that is of strong possibility. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, we kind of skipped right over it to talk about some more of the end stuff, but um, I, I did need to say my note, which is he pushed the button and the music started. Yes! Needle drop. It's no good. Needle <laughs> drop. Oh, and even before that, so I have an interesting note, too. Uh, yeah. Tima gets control of the throne and is, like, very much in her rage mode. I am just an yes. artificial being made to destroy the Earth. And, like, outright says that, even. Right. But it's interesting to me, then, that the robot uprising begins there. Because, okay, so, the end of the manga, uh, Michi figures out, uh, f- figures out that they're a robot, and decides, you know what, if I'm a robot, seeing how all these robots have been treated, I'm going to get revenge for them on humanity. And sure. leads the robots on in a revolution... Like just they they it happens on a boat I think and they just walk across the floor of the ocean to get to oh. uh to get to the main city and from there just start tearing up and it's really freaking cool but like in the movie the revolution still happens the robots and so part of me wonders if the robots were being controlled by her to do that but she seems to have like from what she said she has control of basically everything the entire earth's forces why would she bother having the robots uh crawl in there to uh, to kill people if it wasn't basically i feel like she was including the robots in it because she wanted them to be involved in their own uh liberation liberation. yeah exactly yeah yeah, like, she doesn't need them to accomplish her goals, given the amount of power she's said to have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a, like you said, helping them have a hand in it. Because otherwise, if she shuts things down but lets the people live, they might attack other things. Either the robots themselves, mm-hmm. the systems that she needs to achieve her ends... She did have access to the uh, the nuclear the the reactor thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so she, well, I guess she couldn't up it enough to save the robots, but hurt the humans because they showed that at a low enough level, it affects robots but not humans. Yeah. So so yeah. I don't I don't know. I guess there's a sense of thinning it out before Maybe to have not. time to and achieve the kind of bigger end goal. Am I remembering this right? After something that um, Duke Red or something did, they were they were like, if we do this, it's going to um, destroy all the the robots, but not the people, right, whatever yes. that thing. Not necessarily and, destroy, but it, it's oh, going to have yeah. a bad effect on them. Right. Yeah, and they were testing a bunch the machine. Of them, right. Right, and then a bunch of them seemingly were like evil, or, or went to attacking people, and I don't, I don't think they were necessarily attacking people. Not so much as they were just freaking out and doing things that could hurt people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it okay. was sort of the the radiation from the sunspots uh, drove them mad. 
Yes. Yeah. And they do that. What okay. Well, and then a lot of them had their eyes looking a certain way. And then after, after um, Tima took over the same kind of thing, when those robots came out and stuff, their eyes looked a certain way. So yeah, I, but they, I, weren't, I they weren't acting erratic in the same way, though. They seemed purposeful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like marching and attacking and stuff. With a goal in mind. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So big interesting thing to me also is what caused Tima's heart to, well, what caused her to have a change of heart again right at mm-hmm. the end? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's like well, a matter almost- of time, if it's something in particular he did or said. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, cause- well, because that, that's when it started. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was okay. going to say that's when it seems like it started focusing in on her eye yeah. and her eye looking at him. So I I don't know. Does she need was to she look connecting- at him enough? <laughs> I know. Was she, or was her eye connected with his eye somehow? I don't know. Yeah. And like, literally, literally, it happens right after she grabs him by the neck. <laughs> Which yeah. is just, yeah. like, I, I can't tell if that's, like, why, if it was, like, direct contact, because all the other times she had touched him, she had been, like, you know, just flinging him by his clothes or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe direct Possibly? contact with him was what did it, but I don't know. Direct contact with humanity. Well, or, okay, the only thing that I can think of is if so- if something in that triggered a memory because he immediately, like, grabbed, I want to say uh, grabbed her hand or something when the fire started, when they first were were fleeing from the um, the factory or whatever, when he was trying to help her, or or he might have even reached out immediately when he saw her. When he first something. saw her, she was naked, and he gave her his jacket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was their first interaction. Yeah. Okay. And then, like from from there, I think they were hand in hand as he tried to lead her yeah. out, and then they fell down into the uh, into zone three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm. Um, I guess all I was going for or, or or my thought process was the act of him trying to help her if that triggered something that you know i mean but he was doing repeat. that before she started turning back yeah uh, yeah he like the whole time her he was... out of the seat and everything yeah that is true yeah i don't know interesting parallel between that and the manga i keep doing this it's fine. You uh, read the manga. You have the right. I did. I did. The manga ended ends with uh, Michi and Kenichi fighting atop a building, and like in it, Kenichi's like tries to convince them to not murder all humans. Right. Uh, and as you do, yeah. And Michi's just like, no, let's fight about it. And like Kenichi even does a judo move uh, to redirect uh, her attack away from him, and. Ultimately, the reason she stops, or they, the reason they stop in the manga is because they were specifically, as I mentioned before, not a robot. They were an artificial being created with artificial cells. And the yeah. only reason those cells were able to exist was because of the sunspot radiation that was causing all of the like animals to go crazy and whatnot. And sure, okay. right before getting to this point, uh, Kenichi had powered off the uh, thing that was actually doing that, that was causing the sunspots. And so when Michi finally stops, it's because their body is just deteriorating from not having that sunspot radiation anymore, because yeah. their artificial cells just can't continue to exist. And so... They stop fighting because they literally have no choice. <laughs> right. Rather than 
Yeah, we're here where it's it seems at least somewhat tied to the connection to Kenichi and, and that stuff. Yeah. Even if it's a little unclear exactly what does it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because there's the... It's a very one-sided fight in the movie because he's not trying to fight even a yeah. little bit. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to hurt her in any way. Yeah, is only trying to help and yeah. she attack. Yeah, that's interesting. There's also the fact that in the manga she had super... Er, Michi had super strength and Tima in the movie doesn't, but is still strong enough to fling someone of her size out uh, through a wall, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, enough, but not like making a whole, whole lot of use yeah. of that. Not Superman levels. No, no, certainly not. Yeah. Anything else spoiler wise? No. Okay. No. no more spoilers. Let's go on to our favorites and least favorites. What was your least favorite scene in the movie? If it's spoilers, be vague. To me, it was one of the scenes where Tima and Kenichi are are fleeing from rock because when they were running through somewhere, there was a robot that was being attacked. And it could have even been a female robot. I don't know. But they were, but like it was on her, I want to say a, a not a ramp or, or, but something in a, in a background. And it was just, again, just being, it was just being, you know, torn apart and, and, and beaten and, and someone just kept kicking it over and over. And it just, yeah. It just made just you so feel disturbing. sad. The casual yeah. violence. Yeah. 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 That kind of makes me think of uh, one thing that I appreciate in terms of, I don't, it never felt like there was a, a an attack against a, uh, kind of female presenting robot in that way and I think they could have done that and that would have been gross yeah. and very very upsetting and I don't think they did there was casual violence but they didn't kind of make it exploitative in that way yeah and I think a lesser movie could have and would have and it would have yeah. yeah and the only reason that made me have a hint that female is just because they were the the robot was kind of upside down. You couldn't see the head, but I want to say it was like almost like a blue triangle shaped kind of body. Mm. And you know how sometimes you make a remember. dress or the symbol for what. And and sure, again, yeah, so I didn't catch that. It very well so may not have been, but yeah. I just I don't yeah. know. It just that's just where my mind went, and it just bothered me. Yeah, valid. I really don't have a least favorite scene. I know, honestly. right? I'm this struggling. movie is just so good. There's like. There's little nitpicks from place to place, but no full scene sure. feels right. like bad to me. Ugh. Yeah, I guess it doesn't have to feel like one that feels. It bad. can just be what you least enjoyed or thought was could have been done. I don't know, yeah, but I can't they, think of anything. Yeah, right it, it's, now. it's, yeah. it's and pretty, that it's pretty. Uh, what's the word? Subjective. Yeah, and, and to the to the metrics that you're using, and I think I will say my kind of least favorite or was when Emmy is bringing uh, Tima to who she thinks is Kenichi, but it is rock. And you have that kind of exchange of money. And she's like, you said you wouldn't whatever, or like, I have to go back. Just kind of the, the cowardice there of I'm just taking money. I'm, I I don't know what's going to happen, but for my sake, I will assume that it, it this isn't a big deal. Right. And um, um, I have to go back by, and it's like you're leading her to her death. Yeah, and for money, 
Yeah, but, Emmy in the movie is yeah. very much a uh, a much worse character than Emmy in the manga. Mm. Yeah, she's not a good person. No. Um, was he wearing her face later? Later, yeah, it was disguised. Later, he's yeah, wearing I disguise. Don't think it was her skin. Her. Yeah, <laughs> I, hope I don't not. think. God, that yeah. yeah, I don't think he. I don't think there's any hint that it was supposed to be that he okay, is literally good, wearing because... a skin mask. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Least favorite thing for me. Is uh-huh. that very scene when he's disguised as her and he pulls off uh-huh. the disguise. Before he pulls off the disguise, brown eyes. When he pulls off the disguise, oh. blue eyes. And it, like, what the heck kind of latex mask, like, gives you different colored <laughs> it's eyes? It's like a thin thing over the eye that's, yeah, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think I'll go with Valerie's, though. Emmy movie Emmy made me feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. don't do that. Don't do that. Um yeah, I guess that, but it's it's a good movie. What was your favorite scene in the movie? Um ooh, this is hard to choose. I think it's a little less difficult than choosing a least favorite. Yeah. <laughs> but still I think mine scenes when they were with Fifi, and I'm just going to say that because that just made me so happy and I love Fifi so much. Fifi's so good. Fifi and, good. Yeah. Fifi's amazing. Yeah. I mean, probably the probably the final confrontation stuff for me, it's pretty iconic to what I remember watching back in the day. So I Yeah, I get that. I think I think that I think particularly some of the final stuff involving Kenichi and Tima. Um Yeah. I th- I think that's that's probably for me my my favorite bit. But there's so many good parts. In here. Oh yeah. I'm a bit split between um Again, it was mentioned earlier, but the fire brigade scene is just so heavy yeah, good. It's very good. It's, yeah, that's, it's so that's rad. a good scene. But also, yeah. I kind of really like the drama of the scene where Pero confronts the revolutionaries. Yeah. And his big question yeah. for them and and mm, Atlas's whole thick layer of uh. Atlas's big response to it, which is like even subtly different in the uh, uh, sub versus the dub. But they're both very oh, yeah. much the same feeling of just, we can't not do this. Right. And it's like, but, like, he doesn't even seem, like, the fact that he talks to Pero about it at all makes it feel like his bigotry towards the robots is more pragmatic than ideological. Like, a lot of people yeah. are shown just being, like, very casually awful to the robots. But he sees it as, like... Like, they have to uh, step on the robots in order to reach their goal of right. getting to that. But then again, of course, he also, like, was just totally in contact with uh, the governments and, like... Yes. And, like, they were secretly backing his revolution because his revolution was actually against the uh, Duke Red and right. the Ziggurat and not against the government. Yeah, this is a movie where, like, most of the named characters kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> There's a very small amount that don't. Yeah. It's just de- different degrees of sucking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I'll I'll go ahead and go with the fire scene, the firefighting scene, just with the, the music and mm-hmm. the robot design. And I've got to mention the animation not just with the kind of fire rats or whatever but the robots who are pulling the snakes and just kind of the 
the creatureness of the hoses. I yeah. said snakes. I meant hoses, but they look like snakes. <laughs> they did. I was wondering. <laughs> uh, or, or some sort of tentacles. Just like, it was very cool visually. You have some of the character stuff with everybody in from the area being like, yep, this is just what happens. Yep. And uh, the detective and Kenichi being like, okay, what's this? Uh, and being, you know, taken aback. Uh, it was a very fun scene. Yeah. I really love how the uh, hose robots look like sort of like insects almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were I love very, them. I love them. very cool design there. Who was your least favorite character? So like, Dr. Lawton is awful. He's gross. Yeah. He, feels, he just feels really creepy as heck. He does. And like, from that Got point of view vibes. of- Yeah, from that point of view of vibes and like characters and whether I like them or dislike them personally, Lawton's very definitely the one. But the, char- the character I feel like was wasted the most on this oh. in this movie was Minister Skunk- the uh, the defense minister, because yeah. he turns traitor for no particular reason other than oh boy I can't wait to do more war crimes, and then right? just disappears from the movie. Then he's just gone. Yeah, it's weird too because when I first saw him, because he appears early on in the movie, I like vividly like remembered him so much, and yet he really does so little comparatively. Yeah. I don't know why he's stuck into my mind so clearly. Yeah, we get like other we, than I mean he you know his big his big scene where he does portray is like noteworthy, but then yeah, like you said he's gone after that. Yeah, and we get like nothing about his motivations for why no. he chose to side with Duke Red. And so it's just it's yeah. it's weird. No, that's I feel like that could have done better. And, like, maybe there might have been more behind the character that like got left on the cutting room floor. It, it almost feels like that has to be the case. Like there's notes somewhere explaining it more, but they're just like, oh, we got to cut this. Like, yeah. There ha- yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he had I, had, I only picked up a couple of quotes, but he was one of them where he's like, I am merely history's change agent. No, I am merely history's agent. Oh, yeah, I'm the agent of history. And uh, dub note, uh, in that scene, uh, the president says, you've betrayed us for Duke Red. And his response is, I may have betrayed you, but I have not betrayed history. Interesting. Okay. And it's just, I I (laughs) love- What does that mean, man? I know! Oh my gosh! What he's is just your game? Such a fascist, and so excited to do more war crimes, and that—that's that, basically he what is. I get from his whole little like that whole end part of that scene where it's just lots of war imagery. He's just like, oh, right. war crimes, war crimes. Got to do more war crimes. Jeez. I'm gonna go with Doctor Loughton because, like you said, not only I mean his creepiness to me went to new heights when well after. Duke Red left. He's like, I'm not giving you to anyone. You're going to come. You're coming with me and we're going to go away together. Why is Dr. Loughton going away with a, a young little girl? I mean, that just really creeps me out. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, just he's the worst. Yeah. One of the weirdest things about Dr. Lawton in the original manga, he was a good guy. Oh, he was a good guy. Hmm. He just got. Uh, they changed that a little bit. Yeah, just a bit. Yeah, they changed. he got. It. Uh, forced into making into using his new technology of artificial cells to create interesting the ultimate being by uh and so duke red was just there threatening him making him do it but finally when it was when he was almost ready he was like you know what i don't want 
this guy to have control of you. So we're going to get the heck out of here and run away. And they actually succeed in it. Uh, he burns down his house and hides uh, Michi in like a tree. And then finally, like they live away from him and they actually see, uh, see him as their father at that and during uh, interesting and during that whole little front portion and it's only when they start going out and about uh without the mask that he originally put them in to like make sure nobody would see them uh they go out and about and meets kenichi and whatnot that duke red finds out that they're still alive and goes after lawton and kills him oh interesting Mm. wow okay yeah i I wouldn't have I wouldn't have picked him if that had been the case. Well, yeah, but yeah. No, he was he was creepy in the movie. Yeah. He really was, yeah. I'm I'm thinking probably skunk also for the kind of reasons that you said. <laughs> um, just the, the, it, fe- it feels like more should have happened with him after his kind of big moment. Yeah, but it just didn't, and it's like I don't even know what happened to him after that. <laughs> yep, it's a mystery. I mean, yeah, I just, I don't know. Um, not sure. I guess I'll go with. We'll say President Boone in terms of the nonchalance with which he was treating this, like, coup d'etat. He's like, all right, revolution at one, we'll release at <laughs> three, right in between I'm going to have my tea time. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was yeah, pretty awful. The, yeah, they, they kind of did a good job of this contrast between the impending doom for these poor revolutionaries. Like, I'm like, this isn't going to go well for you. Yeah. Just very casually taking advantage of the revolution to, uh, try to take out Duke red. Right. And, and him still living in his opulence and all of that. Yeah. Um, so we'll go with that. Who was your favorite character? So like, I'm kind of split on this also, but for different reasons, I, I love Tima so much. Like, Tima was huge gender feels for me when I was a kid and, you know, Uh little Mm -hmm. pre-transition Emma being like, oh my gosh, this character is so pretty and, like, I want to be like her. And But, like, the thing Uh is, she's very not, um, she doesn't have much agency throughout the movie. No, Mm -mm. Like, she kind of gets a little bit at the end. Right. She's kind of plays more of a a lot. Yeah, she's very damseled, very, like, kind of a MacGuffin, almost, throughout the story. And yet, her vibes are immaculate. I adore her. I, She's so amazing. I'm feeling you on all of this. Yeah. She's so good. Your thoughts are my thoughts currently. (laughs) So despite all of that, she's my favorite character by far. Yeah. I'm going to go with Kenichi because I feel like he just had such a good heart to everyone. Mm. I mean, to the robots, to everyone. And he was so selfless because I I just feel like his, I don't know, his well-being or whatever was always almost second, you know, to trying to help everyone around him um, and, you know, and immediately empathizing and wanting to help the robots. And then, of course, at the end, uh, choices that were made and so forth. So, I don't know. He just had a really good heart. He's, he's just a, a nice little guy. He's a good boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's a good boy. And, like, in the uh, in the manga, he even, like, at the end of the story, after Michi is falling apart, uh, he kind of saves her. He takes her with him. And, uh, like, even though all the people of the town, all the people of the city were like, we can't believe this robot has been trying to destroy everything, even though she wasn't a robot, he tells Michi's story and lets everyone know all the 
pain and trauma they went through that led to this and helps everybody to feel like to understand what was going on and to forgive them and even like at the very very end as they're like the last of them is uh disintegrating away uh in like a hospital bed uh he brings all of their classmates that they had met when they had been going to school together for a short time in to like get to say goodbye and there's not enough of Michi left for them to like shake their hand or anything. And so he brings in the statue that uh, Michi was designed after. Cause that's the source uh. of Michi in the original, not someone's child, but a statue. And like that way Michi can see all of their classmates shaking their hand via the statue. Oh my that's very Aww. sweet. I know. And like, Kenichi is such a good boy. He's a good boy. I think I'll go with uh, the, the detective, Detective Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a, uh, he's a wily guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's like sneaking tastes of next to the food cart. <laughs> and he's like, you're too old to be a thief. <laughs> right. Uh, he helps Tima, like fixes her. With the info that he has from the yeah. notebook, he is worldly, kind of sees a bit of what's going on, has his detective know-how of, like, this kid is back at the scene, he was seen here before, like, he's no good. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, it may be kind of cliche, but it is useful. Yeah. And when Tima's, like, even despairing of, I'm not a robot, I have to be human, like Kenichi, he's just like, you know pushing the point here would not be helpful. And so he's just like, yeah, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. are human. Yeah. It's like, let's, let, let's just let that be. Yeah. yeah he's very yeah. big Columbo feels. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kind of bumbling, but also like really adept at everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think he, I, I like his vibes. And I think that, I don't know with these kind of, um, young lovebird sort of uh, characters, Tima and Kenichi. I don't know if it's sometimes there's assumptions that have to be made or their innocence sometimes makes them a bit flat for me where you have this kind of uh, wryness with the detective character and that, his... That you click with. He's a little yeah. scampy and I like that. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't make it clear, uh, Tima is my favorite for pretty much everything Emma said, so... Sorry to steal your thunder. <laughs> no, you're good. You said it perfectly, all of that. If Tim Curry were in the dub of this movie, which he is not, who would you have him voice? I feel like the obvious answer is Duke Red, because, like... Y- yeah. He he does the big uh, villains so well. He does. Mm-hmm. Less obvious, but still kind of obvious, is Dr. Lawton, just because he also has experience as the mad scientist. Definitely. Sure. But yeah. my my actual opinion, even though it's a fairly minor role, uh-huh. I feel like uh, Acetylene Lamp, the, uh, the guy who was the advisor to the president, I yeah. feel like Curry's uh-huh. voice would fit him really, really well, just especially with that manic grin. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm. No, yeah. yeah, agreed. And he, he's got... He's got a couple of things where he could really shine, oh, definitely. Yeah. Tim Curry could elevate any of the, the roles we, we mentioned of him in. It's very true. So, yeah. He's got an awesome voice. Tim He's Curry good. as Fifi. 
I love it. I love thinking about that. Oh, I love I love thinking about that. All right. Hold on. Oh, you have another one? Pero, what do you think? If he's, I could, oh, I could yeah. see it. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that'd be fun. Okay. That'd be cool. sad. It would be sad. Tim Curry, I know. sorry. I know. All right, let's go on to our overall consensus and what we would rate it. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, gorgeous, uh, interesting. Layered. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, a very interesting film. I definitely would recommend it. Um, it is brought up a lot in terms of, like, the representative of, of how animation is, is an art. Uh, so, so for sure, uh, recommend this film. For rating, I'll give it a 4.75, I think. There's there's so much there. Uh, you can get a lot on rewatches, uh, as it sounds like Emma has. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> interested in. Um, we should watch the dub together. Yeah, there's different uh, sources to pull from uh, to kind of you know get even more out of it. So, so yeah, um, I would recommend it, even though for me it's not just a high record or rewatchability, but I definitely think it was. An amazing, uh, interesting, and beautifully animated movie. So, I mean, I definitely think that you should at least watch it once, like I did. And um, I, I would give it a four, not not because I mean, and that's just more because of my personal preference. Yeah. Um, the but, rewatchability yeah, but, but is a solid part of your four, rating. And it's it's a, it's a it's a solid. It's a beautiful movie, as far as visually <laughs> as far as content it, it's 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 a bit rough <laughs> so what you think emma five stars no ten stars no a million stars oh god oh. I, I just i love i think this really might be my favorite movie ever honestly nice like there's a few others that feel close to it like um uh have you ever seen uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind I haven't actually. Oh, that yeah. one's really just good. Heard, just heard about it. I like that one a lot. But like, even that, even none, no other movie comes even close to Metropolis for me, and that's why I'm so glad that I get to like just go on and on about it with all of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been really nice. It is very much an amazing film. I think everybody should watch it, whether they like anime or not. I think that it's like it's just so good. So it's, good. It's really good. Yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna echo my wife and go four point seven five. I'm like, I'm like, is this better than a goofy movie? I really <laughs> love a goofy movie. <laughs> Valerie gave that a, fa- a four, but I gave Goofy Movie a four point five because Goofy Movie is very high in my heart. Anyways, this movie four point seven five. Like it a lot. Um, and you should go, like, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's been indelibly stuck in my mind since I saw it as a young, was that either preteen or teenager? Somewhere in there. <laughs> um, it's great. It's great. Thank you all very much for listening. Yes, thank you. Thank yeah. you. And please, please join me on any Tuesday um, on on Twitch. Uh, follow Nana Critter. I am streaming Witcher 3, and I would love to have you and my awesome daughter and daughter-in-law you can see in the chat. Emmy, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Definitely. Uh, so I do a lot of, like, Let's Play videos on YouTube. Uh, I also do Twitch. I've got, like, my own little VTuber avatar and everything. 
I'm on Twitter, I'm on Patreon, I'm on Camaraderie, which is basically Patreon, but cooler. And all of it is <laughs> under the same username, Emma Void, no space. Nice. Nice. Definitely check both of them out. Yes. Next time, we will be watching a French film that I've heard a lot about, but I've never seen before, and I don't know how else to vague at it, honestly. So, just going to leave it at that. That's pretty good vague. That's <laughs> yeah, a thank good you. Yeah. And thanks thank you, so thank you. much for joining us. Yes, um, thank Emma, you so much, Emma. This was great. You. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I would love to do this sort of thing again with you all. This was so yeah, fun. Let me, yeah, especially let me know if there's any other uh, animated movies you know are really close to your heart and I could like throw you on a list of like, oh, if I if we get to this one, I got to make sure to yeah. call Emmy up. Yeah, I'll look into that. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you all very much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Love, Bye. Love you. This has been How's It Hold Up with Danica Juarez and Jan James. You can find our podcast on Twitter at How's It Hold Up Pod. That's with each word capitalized and no apostrophe. Also, if you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash user question mark U equals 2790566. Every little bit helps, and even with a minimum pledge, you get access to things you won't hear in our main podcast feed. Check it out for more info. The two pieces of music used in this episode were created by Kevin McLeod. You can find both The Curtain Rises and Cool Cats at incomptech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com. Both songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. More info on that can be found at http colon slash slash creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by slash 3.0. Thanks for listening. Commercial break. Do 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 commercial break. <coughs> you don't have to cough, apologize, and then cough, but you can just cough and it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but it's funnier this way. I guess so. I love you, Mom. I love you.